Do you have uh, an an old an untold story um, that? <laughs> is it dirty you want? Oh, oh no, I can't be careful, man. You got me on the web. I could be like, seriously, never work again. You want? We, we, we don't have to put your name if we get a really uh, no, good I see one. You're trying to get me to do TMZ. Is this TMZ? <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to The Dank Show, brought to you by Simeon, where the best of the best in advertising, media broadcast, and video innovation gather to reveal and discuss what's now, new, next, and beyond. I'm your host, Heather Prather. In this episode, Reva Leba and I chat with Brendan Gillot, president of Gillot Entertainment since 2014 and a member of the Directors Guild of America since 1998. Today we discuss what it means to be a member of the DGA, directing, and the state of the film industry. So let's jump in. Hi Heather. How's it going today? It's all, it's going all right. I just came from a wake, you know, this opiate addiction thing's got me pe- losing people left and right. So it's like, yeah. outside of that, I've had a good day. Well, good. good. Yeah, that's too bad, though. Yeah, that's one of the projects that I'm working on with the, um, I pitched to the Mark Wahlberg Foundation right now about doing an opiate uh, documentary for uh, HBO or something like that because it just needs to be addressed, I feel, so. Yeah, it is a big problem, and. Well, it's overall drugs, but oh, yeah. I don't know. It's like out there, but here in Massachusetts, per capita, we're the number one in the country as far as deaths, and we're losing a whole generation to it. So. Well, yeah, that is a problem. There she is. Sorry. It's okay. Sorry. I had to. Um, somebody had to deliver my dinner. Ah, that's important. I, <laughs> I guess so. We all need to eat, I suppose. <laughs> yes, this <sister. laughs> All right. So, um, can you give the audience a little insight on what life is like to be you um, and in association with the Directors Guild of America? I love the DGA. I mean, how I got into it was I was, you know, I was in California and I became a second AD on a national TV show and I rise through the ranks. And then, uh, you know, I always supported unions being from Boston, even though I was out, out there. It's not, it's a guild, but it's still technically, I feel like a union because they watch my back. You know, you pay in and, and um, you know, we got a pension and health and all that stuff. Everything is almost 100% covered. So I really recommend anybody doing it. If you're going to start like me, you start from the bottom up. I mean, you can go to school for it and be in debt when you get out. But um always felt hands-on is more practical because they're paying you, whether it's little or not, to learn. Learn camera, learn how to deal with actors and actresses, how to do... In the DGA, in the second realm, it's more like they guide us because we're with the Producers Guild is that we're more gauged towards, and when you're in that level, is more of uh, line producing. So you learn that, you learn that it's a trick in itself. You know, so then you, you know, a lot of the direct, people that start in the director end up becoming um, producers too, on top of being a director because you learn how to budget and schedule. So. So what do you exactly do? What is your official job title? My official job title? I'm a director. At, oh, you mean at the DGA? Or uh, my own personal title? No, I'm a director. I do my own thing. <laughs> I have my own company. Okay. I've had it since um, I got into the guild. And I do, like, smaller projects and stuff like that. Um, around Boston, I just started getting into it with the local guys. But, um, yeah, like I was telling your friend, I'm, my next project I'm trying to get is on this opiate thing. And... 
you know, I made a lot of friends along the line, so I'd like to do something for HBO. Gonna pitch a treatment for it and see where it goes from there. With uh, hopefully with uh, some friends of mine, and because um, it needs to be done and addressed, it's a passion for me, and I and I just think it needs to be said. From and the, the whole premise behind it's like instead of like just talking about the addiction and everything, it's more the premise along of um, it's. Um, for um, like if someone just walked in my apartment, I didn't expect. So sorry for the distraction. But basically, from the from the people that are on the street, from their point of view, what do they think can change to help them? Because there's a lot of hopelessness out there. So different perspective and keep it raw. That's what the idea is. Okay. Yeah. Did that answer it? Or did I give you too long or windy? I am from Boston. We're windy. <laughs> no, that was great. Okay, no, great. That was great. Um, did you say that you uh, wanted to do a project for HBO? Yeah, well, that's the thing. A documentary, I'd like to pitch it with the, uh, the documentary department. Through some producer friends of mine, we get inroads there. And if we do the treatment right and we pitch it to them, I mean, then get the finance and then we can go and shoot it the way we'd like to. You know, if not, we just do a raw and then we pitch it the full, you know, sell it to them that way. There's various ways of doing it. I think what it is is it's, you gotta just—it's—you gotta show it. It's raw, and HBO is the only place to do it. I, I mean, you can't really, because I want it to be raw. I want these kids to be able to swear in the Frenchman and just like tell it like it is mm-hmm. and show it. Because I don't—we don't show it. We only talk about the problem, and you know they have this new thing and um, you know, what's it called? Smart recovery. There's no such thing as smart recovery. So. It's either you do it or you don't. And we're losing a whole generation of kids right here. I don't know about the rest of the country. I call it Generation Next. Who's next? So I don't know. So I feel a responsibility to get it out there. I've watched enough. I've worked with other foundations. I see we're doing a lot of prevention. But I want to show it from the street. I wrote this treatment 13 years ago, and I just never acted on it. And now it seems to be the time. So I'm re 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 revisiting it and now I'm starting to pitch it so hopefully it works yeah, you know? hopefully. We'll you've had relationships with HBO in the past correct yes I did I started with them I did location managing of all things which is also part of the DGA which never made much sense to me but that's because they needed a union so we scooped them up DGA is a very powerful signatory with a signatory meaning that we um Without us signing off on most contracts in, the, in, in all of Hollywood, things don't get done. Mm-hmm. And whether they want to or not, you can cut corners, but you might you'll pay a price for that. And I think that's very important to have because someone has to be responsible for what we're putting out there. And um, so I'm very proud of being part of that. But yeah, I did HBO. I did a thing with some mechas. It was a spinoff from um, Tales from the Crypt. That was way back in my early career. <laughs> I'm talking when I was young. I mean, I was... <laughs> Buddy, how old are you? I don't want to ask. That's not a thing you ask women. I scratched that question. Basically, um, yeah, I think, what, what was that, 95, 96? Yeah, I just come off Nash Bridges as a PA, and I went to L.A., and um, I just started locations. It's called Perversions of Science. It only ran for a season. But it was interesting because it was fast-paced. It wasn't on the studio, but it was HBO, and... I got to learn another whole realm of production, you know, because there's a lot of reports and, and LA is so vast and huge. So I got to do 10 episodes of that and uh, became a member of that part of the uh, DGA before I got became an, officially a, as a director and a second AD and a first and the UPM kind of style at the, the rate I'm at now. So it's just interesting how the career goes. You just follow whatever goes. I tell the young kid, you just got to follow your passion no matter what. 
And um, I was already old enough when I started. I was 27, so I didn't feel the need to go back to school. And so I always tell young kids today where they always ask my advice, I just say, if you're in school, like at Emerson, we got Emerson here in Boston, it's basically get on any movie set you can possibly get on, not just a school project, but anything that comes through the town and become a production assistant and learn from the ground up and get your butt right next to the camera and ask questions to the DP, what lens, this, that, and learn. Be a human sponge because um, it pays dividends down the road, you know. And you'll develop your own style, you know what I mean? I think in that, you know. So. Could you um, explain the difference between a director, a first AD, a second AD? Well, all right, a director is, you know, depending on the level. Television, a director, um, basically, it's a producer medium. So directors are guest stars. You know, they come in and it's already formatted, shot the same way. It's very similar to it's. It's just like any TV show. If you watch the style of a show, it never changes. Like, perfect thing is law and order. Like, yeah, everything's masses coverage. So you're going in when it's television. But when you're a director and features and stuff like that, you're invo- involved in the writing process. You know what I mean? You, you'll have the initial writer. You'll get the specs. You'll get the script. And most directors, depending on the level they're at, will look re- re- um, look over the script. And most of us are writers anyway, so we start to rewrite either with the same writer or we hire some other writers. So you're involved in the whole process through. You know, in television, you're more like you're coming in, you, you make good money, and you're just part of a, a team. You know what I mean? Not really the guy. So on television, a second, a first AD, is he's there for the whole season. you got two multiple. you got one for each odd and even show. You have a key second, depending on the shows. Today, usually you got two keys, one for each show. But back in the day when I did it, there was one key and one second second. Second seconds run base camp, which is where you then nuts and bolts put together, make a pair of wardrobe. You're running nine different departments simultaneously throughout the day for 10 months and up to 100 hours a week. So it's intense. and But it's fast-paced, and you learn how to do things a lot faster. So when you get the features, things slow down because it's hurry up and really wait. You know, the, the shots are bigger. But if you ever watch it, you can see I've been on both, and, and I, when I see the finished product, it's pretty much the same. You can only fit so much into a, uh, an hour and a half or an hour. But, yeah, that director's in the first AD is the guy. He, he basically, he runs that set, and then he tells, he disseminates what we need, and he writes a call sheet. He gives us an idea, and the key second goes through the call sheet for the next day's work, and we're always moving on to the next thing in television, and it's the same thing in feature. It's always it's always a scheduling, a budgeting, um, travel, actors' time off, you know, depending on the size of the, you know, A-list stars, it's a little bit more... You know, like you were asking earlier, I've read some of the questions. The balance is just knowing your people, you know, who, how you can talk to them. You have to have really good people skills. You, you have to be honest. You have to communicate all the time. Otherwise, things just, like anything else, fall apart. And that's the difference. You know, the first AD, he's the call, shot caller. You know, the director on the feature, he's going to turn to his first. But he needs things set up, you know. And then he just passes it down to us, and then we make it happen. Bomb. It's a team method, and then that's about it. Do you have a, an an old an untold story um, that? You, <laughs> you want? Oh, oh no, I can't be careful, man. You got me on the web. I could be like 
seriously never work again. We, wanna... we, we don't have to put your name if we get a uh, really no, good I see one. You're trying to get me to do TMZ. Is this TMZ? I don't know. No names are needed. Oh, oh, so it is TMZ. Okay. Here's one for you. It's not so bad. What happens is when you're a second in, in, um, on television, and we have, like, honey wagons, which is the... There's little rooms, and those are, like, for actors. You know, they're at a level. They're still building their career. And sometimes they have three bangers, which is it's individual rooms, and there's three to a trailer. And some of them get if available. I had this one actor, and he just made this big issue about it. And, um, oh, man, it just got ugly. So... I didn't like his attitude, so I basically left him in the honey wagon. And then more he messed with it, and then he put his agent on the phone from New York, and we're having a screaming match about it. And she's in being in the union, I had to have him 100 percent my back because I mean it's how you treat people. And the thing was, it was just like the sense of entitlement sometimes baffles me. You know, what I mean, we're blessed to do what we do. And the good ones, the good stories out of it is a good actor told me once, and I'll never forget. I was apologizing. This is another story. This is what you don't hear. I was apologizing for, like, making him wait. And he turned to me and he said, I get paid to wait. <laughs> I don't get paid to act. And I never heard that quite put that way. I always thought, you know, that kind of started to change my inner speed guy, you know, my anxiety all the time. You know what I mean? That guy kind of helped me with that. But, um... There's some funny stuff. I mean, I've walked in on people naked and just walked into walls and not expecting it. Like I did it one time. I wanted an actress just open. I walked in. She, they wanted. They were asking to do a new Chambers television. She's like, hell no. And, but boom. and she just dropped it for me. And I turned around because I was so embarrassed. And I banged my face into the wall and walked down. <laughs> almost fell down the three stairs because I was like completely shocked and embarrassed. I mean, turned red in the face. So it's stuff like that. You just don't know. Yeah, right. You know, this industry is, um, we're just blessed to do what we do if we're fortunate enough to do it. And we have to remember that. I mean, not we're not curing cancer. I mean, it's not like we're like going out there, you know, saving lives. We're just creating a, um, you know, some distraction for people's mundane lives. Which is, if in fact, it's still a job for guys like us. I always, my family and everybody, you know, they're always, oh, you did, they ask the same questions you do. And I just, my standing answer is always, it's a job. But it's a job I love to do. It's a different, it's a passion. If I go to something I'm passionate about, I'm, I'm just going to be happy. Not all the time, but I'm going to be grateful at the end of the day that I'm getting to do what I love to do versus going to a job that I don't like to do. Like so many people in my family and other places I see, they just do it for a paycheck. And um, it's not about that, you know. And that's why I get into documentary filmmaking, because you have a chance to really have a voice to what your uh, passion is or what the next story you feel might be something. And maybe someone else might feel that same way. We don't know. That's the whole idea of pitching a, um, an idea. Mm-hmm. You know, do you? Think, you don't know what the you know the, what they want. Go ahead. Do you think that the new streaming services um, are changing um, your distribution of where your films are going, or being uh, somebody who's writing for a documentary? No, I mean I, I'm in all forms of media. I I worry about it because there's piracy everywhere. When you put it on the internet, there's no control. There's no, you can say there is, but really there isn't. I mean, streamlining stuff just makes it easier. It's a lazy format. I mean, they're going to take away filmmaking. I mean, going to the movies. I don't know about you guys. I mean, I'm from the older generation. I like sometimes, not all the time, 
They're going to a, a movie on a date, watching it on the big screen, hearing all the effects, and or just seeing a real good story and sitting in there in the dock and, and actually enjoying it on a larger screen and just my computer or my phone, which I find... I don't know. I don't like watching things on phone. I like to feel it. You know, I got to be a part of them when there's loud surround sound and those other stuff. You kind of, you're in the movie, you know, like I always feel like the camera represents me in the room. I've always felt that way. You know, not just from day one. It's just always, if there's good filmmaking, you always feel like when it's moving and the movement of a camera, it just feels like you're in the room with them. You're a part of that scene, not in the theater, but you're in the scene if it's done right. Yeah. And that's good filmmaking to me. I think that's going to get laxed on. You're watching, you're, just, you're, you're disconnected, you got surround around you, and you're putting them in your ears, you're shutting down the world. There's no... It's going to make people a lot of money. It's going to make it simple for, for the studios. But then, you know, the piracy and all the things we're already trying to fight against now is bad enough. You know what I mean? I don't know. We are a changing world, so I'll adapt. But that's just my feel on it. You know, I think we're we're moving really fast here with the streamline. I mean, look at Netflix and you look at, um, you know, Amazon. My brother, you know, my brother's a teamster in L.A. And, I, you know, he's been in the 22. He's working on an Amazon show. You know, it's crazy. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, I would say that, you know, theater is still an experience. I mean, if, if there's a movie I'm really excited for, I would much rather see it in the movie theater than wait for it to come out on DVD or something. Well, the art house theaters are all getting shut down. And those are the theaters that have the best, um, this, 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 the, the whole field of it. There was a whole lot of excitement. When we were kids, they had these old theaters you go into and it's like these sweeping staircases. It was the whole experience. Mm-hmm. Now you got this thing where you can almost take a nap, wake up, have a hot dog. You know, it's like stadium seating. I like, I feel like I'm in a football game versus like I'm watching a movie, you know. Yeah. And half the time when they were asleep, I will go to sleep in, in a seat like that. I don't know. I'm just old school that way. I always, I like the experience, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not more, I'm not a big blockbuster kind of guy. I like storytelling. I need to know a beginning, a middle, and an end, and a twist in there. Yeah. And I got to feel it. If I don't feel it, then I'll, I, even the screeners we get for voting, I, I, if I don't feel it, I turn, I, it's done. You know, I don't even go any further. If you don't catch me in the first, maybe scene or two, uh, it doesn't catch. I don't waste my time because I just know I'm, I'm just going to be wasting my time. Right. You know? So what are some of the tools or techniques that you use when you're, you know, working on a large project? Tools meaning what? Like cameras? No. Oh, yeah, it could be cameras. But, I mean, you know, when you're having to, you know, manage these people, um, all these people or, or um, timelines and budgets, you know. What kind of, how do I do it? You yeah. want to really know? My style, how I deal with this is I put my headphones on put my Spotify on and I just I can have this kind of thing I listen to music certain styles of music to when I'm writing or when I need to do budgeting it's like I have this ability to visualize to certain music to what I need to do because I don't need white noise white noise meaning people places and things I mean I music's always been a center to it's always part of the creative process but for me it's just like certain music gets me to that level and it helps me deal and um how I deal with people and, and with the budgets and problems that come up, they're going to arise. You know, you're going to see it when you're doing the schedule. And that's why it's so important to always have union people because they've been trained how to do this. 
And you have to have a, you have to say, that's why you see movies, they always use the same people because they become a family. They travel together and they, they get to know these nuances of what's coming. And it's also, but it's really difficult at times to deal with cast. And that can be worked out in the read, table reads, you know, that you get the feel when they come in the room. If they like it, they don't like it. There's no hiding it because there's no camera on it. It's mm -hmm. like you can get the vibe. And, and that's why it's so important to have a table, even with your big A-list stars, because then you get a sense of where this is going because they, they do things, you know, they're either going to stop playing off each other or going to stop playing with each other, you know, trying to upstage each other. So. You get a sense, and then you just have to be a... I'm not a people pleaser. I, I, I'm more of a... Um, I just want to get the project done, but I'm not going to take any crap. You know, I'm not going to sit there. I don't care who you are. You know, we're all there to get a job, and you're being paid to do a job. If you don't like it, well, then we'll sort that out before we even start the project, I would think. Mm -hmm. And that's also the producer's job, too. You know, they think every time you get a major act start to make these movies like Catherine Bigelow just came through town to do Detroit it's about the riots of 1967 there's not anybody in there they didn't have any star wagons no star power there was nothing it was just like two honey wagons and a bunch of up and coming actors and here's a woman that did Hurt Locker won an Academy Award yet she comes to town and she's one of my favorite directors female or not she just is she's that talented and I, I am I, you know, I just that's what I'm talking about. She got the right people to do this film, and it, it's going to work. And you, they will make these kids stars. But at the same time, she didn't care about having a big star. If you ever watch directors that do that, their movies tend to be more realistic because, A, you're getting an actor that's hungry and is willing to act. And, and he's getting a chance to chop his, to get his chomps drunk. They want to act. They don't want to... They'll do these other things to pay the bills. You always hear guys saying, I did one for Hollywood, one for myself. The good ones do. You know, even Ben and Matt do that. I mean, you have to do it to pay the bills, but then when you really want to grit your teeth and you really want to become, you want to be a storyteller, you, you got to go independent. You have to go that route because you have so much more freedom. And it's more stress. Like, the less the money, the more stress, but the more real it gets. Because people are going to want it. They're going to do it. The more money you get to throw at problems, doesn't work. Throwing money at problems never does. Never, they're not even in real life. Never making make-believe, you know? <laughs> Why would you want to throw money at that problem? I just, we want to, I've done movies for a million dollars inclusive and have more fun than a $30 million movie. Because I, I it was a 20-day shoot. We were up. All night, it was, a, you know, it, it was just insane. And never stopped laughing, never slept, and felt like, wow, we did something here. You know what I mean? And we were doing print rail, which is on film, which is every time you do it, the film starts to lose its coloration. By the time we got to the, the theaters, it was black. Like, it didn't come out very well. And it's okay, because I can hear everything that we did, and I, I could see what I could see. But I learned something from that. You know, that it's not about the size of the budget. It's about the experience. Mm -hmm. You know, and you're telling a story. You know, you've done your job, whether you get, you know, whether it goes massive or not. You know, it's, if you make it about the money, I feel, then you're already losing. You're not having any. You're already, you're already up in here, and you're already projecting. There's no projection. We don't know what this country wants. We don't know what the, we don't know what the audience likes mm -hmm. and dislikes. It's a hit or miss thing. It's you know. So that's just my opinion, humble opinion. But that's what I would like to see. Yeah. So what? What do you find most difficult when you are directing? Lack of sleep. <laughs> 
enough. Not enough. Um, I don't. I, actually, when I'm directing, I, I love it because I have to see. Here's the key for me. I like to have trust in the people I work for. I mean, complete. Like if I have a DP and a camera operator in the same package deal, and I trust him. I don't have to be there to set up every scene because your DP is going to be, he's your lighter. He's a, he's in charge of the set. He's lighting your show. And you've got to go over color schemes. That's already been worked out in pre-production. So if I'm like feeling I need to work with my actors, I can just go ahead. He'll always run it through me, the first and him. And then I just go, hey, listen, you guys, I got you. I trust you. Go do your thing. I'm going to go work this out. And I'll do a table read right there because it's usually, that's it. I love working with actors. Because they struggle. you got to be able to answer questions and give them some motivation, but not scream at them. You need to work it out. Let them play that scene out. And most of the time, they figure it out on their own because you give them the room to do it. If you're kind of interjecting, it's just giving them the time. You see what I'm saying? If I'm physically there, they figure it out. It's like kind of an insecure thing. So you're securing that the director's there, but if you really leave it alone, they'll figure it out on their own. You know, the two of them come together because they just feel like, okay, he gave us the time. And then they start, you just keep running it till they get a little uh, rhythm to it. It's like music, see? Mm -hmm. The rhythm, the rhythm, the rhythm. Once you get rhythm, things just start to flow. It's like music, you know? But there's bumps in the road, like everything else. And like I said, lack of sleep can get really weird for all of you, especially independent films. And But uh, it's, it's like filmmaking one-on-one, you know? Like doing music videos when I started out in 1990s, in the 90s, in, in Oakland, just shooting on 16 millimeter out the window on Martin Luther King Boulevard, getting establishing shots. It's like, that's exciting because the next time we go around, we might get shot. You know, that kind of craziness because you're, you're in a drug dealer's neighborhood. Yeah. yeah. And, but yeah, you don't, you know, you're getting anxious because they're letting you hit, use this really cool film camera that's going. And they're looking by, and, and it must look like a gun, because they. I remember doing it distinctly, like, I'm not going through there one more time. You get one more pass, and, we'll <laughs> and we did. That's a funny story. There's one that's safe. You know, we got the shot, and they used it in the video. So it's uh, stuff like that. And plus, I love giving the kids the opportunity. When I... Because I got an, I got the best gift in the world. And I, they saw my skill back in 98, and um, they bought, took me from in-house, and Grandfather got me in, not grandfather. He offered me the position of DJ, sign here or not sign and stay where you're at. And I signed. You know, on the dotted line and um, never looked back with it any ill will or anything. I love the director's guild. They hold, it's just an experience on itself. Like you get to go to New York, you'd be part of the DGA Awards. Uh, every time we, we direct, give a director of the year award, it ends up being the one that wins the Academy. We're the precursor to the Academies. And you get to go to New York, the Waldorf Astoria, Astoria there, and it's just amazing to go down there and see all these people in the room and know you're part of. There's no there's no breakage in there. There's no, there's no, everybody belongs there is what I'm saying, you know. I mean, when I first started, it was pretty intimidating. I'd call my mother every 10 minutes. Guess what I just saw? <laughs> then you realize, you know what? Because you almost feel like this is too surreal to be true. You're pinching yourself, you know? All these people I saw growing up on television are now directors, and I'm in the same room with them. And I'm considered to be an equal. Yeah. You know? So that's the gift, you know? And there's so much more to give. I think giving is 
giving back for me is important. I, there's so many young talented filmmakers that never get the opportunity or will never get the opportunity, unfortunately, to get what I got. So if I have the opportunity to give them the opportunity, I should, I should damn well should give it to them, right? Right. Yeah. So there, um, you know, there's a lot of kids, young kids, you know, that are getting into the entertainment, you know, content creation um, yeah. industry. And so I guess, um, you know, how can how can being in the DGA help them? Or are you seeing younger kids more inclined to join or not? They're inclined to join, but they need to. They have to work at it. You know, it's like it, it, it. a lot of the a lot of a lot of guys. They start out where they're at now. Honest to God, it's just there's so much. They don't even need almost to the point where they don't feel like they need the director's guild right. because independent filmmaking. Like, I know where you're going with this, like YouTube, and they're making these stars, yeah. and they get the the videos are going streamlined right away. It's not like they have to wait, and if they do it right, they might get a district bit deal with a studio. But that that's a good way to backdoor into the guild because then they come to you, you know. Because if you show the talent, they they want you to join, you know. They want they want to keep the numbers up, mm-hmm. and it's a good opportunity. But I tell kids shoot 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 everything you can. I mean, you see it all the time. I mean, some of the things that we've done with just the iPhone sixes, yeah, you know, there's better footage than some of the the, the red cameras we've used because it's just the person that sees it and shoots it. And you gotta be honest about it, you know, and um, say you don't have an ego. Like, oh yeah, that shot's better than you know, and then not use it. And you gotta get credit where it's due. These kids are talented. I mean, there's some crazy, insane stuff with the editing, and and I read what they do. So yeah, we should be more open to getting these kids in the guild and adding the numbers because the talent's rising, mm-hmm. you know, and the industry needs to take show of it. But not everybody has my attitude. If you get what I mean. Yeah. Unfortunately. And that's all I can say. I can only be me. I can't change everything. But if I was, I'm looking for talent. I mean, I got this group of guys that I work with now that just in their 20s that just is sick of talent. And I trust them, you know, and I'm working with them to help them with exactly what you just said. Mm -hmm. And they know It's it's a mutual thing. And if I can help them, I can. I'd love to see them become at the mainstream where they're at. But then, you know, you have to be careful what you ask for because the mainstream isn't always where it's at. Right. I mean, the guild's great because you got a health and pension. You're going to be set when you get older. And these are things that kids don't look at when they're in their 20s. But if you get in young, you'll have that. You know, and then you got annuities and all these other things that, that you say that to a 20-year-old. What's in an annuity? Something that you don't, can't touch, but it's going to build while you're just sleeping. And it's important. When you're non-union, it's it. Your paycheck's it. Taxes, and if you don't put a 401k together, what are you going to do yeah. when you get older if you don't continuously work? Uh, and it's it's a competitive field. And with this new technology, it's just getting more and more easier. It seems easier to get things out there, I guess. Yeah. But the business is still the same. What, what inspires you? Life. Life. People. Life. I'm a people watcher. I got that from my grandfather. He just passed. And I remember one time I sat with them and we were, I can vividly see it. We were were at a diner and I always been a people watcher. I just did. I only always wonder where you get your traits from. So I'm sitting there and he's, we're having a conversation, but his head's going like out the window to this side and he's watching everything. And I'm like, I got it. That's where I got it from. (laughs) You know? And, um, 
Yeah, it's interesting. I, I've always just been fascinated by the, the movement of people. And um, I knew as a kid, my, I wish my mother was sitting and she'd tell you, I told her at five I was going to do this for a living. I just knew innately that I couldn't build things and structure things. So my drive was always to create. Started with music, singing as a child. I always had that, you know, that ability to see things motion picture-like. I, I, I don't see things in solid form, like it's always moving. There's like little vignettes. I'm always playing. It's like, you know, when you're a kid, you have the viewfinders. You ever see those? You, have, you might be too young, but, you know, you click and it goes frame. Yeah. Click, frame, click, frame. That's how my life is. And the only thing with film is it goes a little faster, 24 frames per second, or depending on where you perform it. Right? But, yeah. <laughs> and some of it, you can edit it as you go along. You know, I mean, I just... Visual is cool as anything. I, 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 I wouldn't change that gift God gave me for anything. It used to freak me out because... I couldn't analyze. I couldn't analyze things very well. I could only see it the way I see it, and then now I've learned to do it. But it's uh, yeah, people watching, people, places, and things, and colors. And um, I think kids should travel too, like see different parts of the globe if they can, um, because it, it opens you up to this. How blessed we are! First of all, to be here, if you go overseas and you see how people live, really live. But you also have to realize, Europe is history. We're just starting our history. Very true. Yeah. And, um, you know, I had a friend of mine, this is going to sound crass, but he said, you know, every time you take a piss in, in Europe, you're pissing on history. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, dude, I never heard it put that way, but he's true. I yeah. felt like I was guilty of even going to the bathroom. <laughs> like, am I doing something wrong? <laughs> but it's like... Um, yeah, it, it, not only Europe, but just anywhere you can go to enhance your visual and your your inner, like your soul. Like you gotta see things, and you, I, and that's the gift of seeing things. Like I, I always say, you can blink your eyes. It's almost like a camera shutter, and you can freeze frame that something I see, and I'll never forget it. And that's how I always thought of like my eyes are the lenses to my soul. I know that's not original, but I really took that to heart. And I use that on a lot of things because it really does. It, it tells the story of my life. Everything I see can become something possibly beautiful. It's everything or nothing. You know, what? it's in front of us. I couldn't imagine what it would be like to be blind. You know, I, my, this, what, what senses would I have? They'd be enhanced somewhere. Mm -hmm. You know, I think my whole thing was always music, really. It was a melody to life. That's the way I put it. I like to use musical references, lyrics, crucial songs, and, and I know where to plug into it when I need something for a drama or anything I'm doing with. I, it's my go-to. You know, it, it will get me emoting. Like, if I need to emote a sad something, I'll play a song that I know is going to make me feel that way because it always has. It hasn't changed. You know? And I think the big thing in life is my influences is just being consistent. Like, I love Scorsese. I love anything Kubrick. Of course, the classics. Clint Eastwood. You know, I learned a lot doing a couple of shows with him and movies in San Francisco. I mean, he and I read his book. I mean, he did the same thing. He said, get as close to the camera if you're an actor. So mm -hmm. if you're going to be an AD, get to the camera. Don't be hanging at the base camp. You can get up to set, get you up there. And that's how he learned. Spaghetti Western. Shoot anything until you get where you need to go, where you feel your passion needs to go. And once you get there, keep going.
Definitely. Because, like you said, this with this new technology, this is going to get huge and fun. <laughs> you know, it, people get full of fear. There's no fear in it unless you. In, in, the only fear is not doing it. I feel. I feel. You know, that's that's where I'm at with that. I think fear only is is the is a limitation of the mind. It's not anything that's limiting us to doing anything other than. Even if you have it, you have to learn to walk through it. You have to not suck it up. You just got to do it or you won't know. What's the worst feeling you two would have? How would you rather not do something and then talk about it in your mindset where you're going, fuck, I should have done that. And then it's a way of like beating your soul into the ground. Instead of just doing it, and if you fall on your face, you can only say, look, oh, man, I busted my lip, but oh, well, I did it. (laughs) Or you're stuck with the mental torture of it. Ah, oh, damn it, shoulda, coulda, woulda. Mm-hmm. Right. And I hate those. Because I've had them. We all do it. You know, and, and I've learned from practical experience from doing that. You know what I mean? Oh, man, I should have taken that job. Oh, what are you afraid of? So now I just take anything that comes my way. And, and if it's within reason, if I have the time to put the, you know, put the right time into it, you know, be vested in it. I can't just do it to rush. Because <laughs> that, that does it's not fair to you. If you bring me in on a project, then I'm trying to cram it in because I, you know, I make it about money or something. It's not fair. No, it's not good to do that to people. No, right. That's that's good advice. So, what what would you say? Um, maybe what a quote or um, some inspirational words you could maybe give to. Um, the new millennials who are, um, you know, just venturing into um, becoming a director or an AD, uh, what would you tell them? Oh, man. Now you put me on the spot. There's a lot of pressure for these young cats. No, um, <laughs> oh, the inspiration? Or a quote. I don't use quotes. Oh, okay. I make my own, or I don't use them at all. <laughs> I'm gonna use that one. <laughs> no, I mean, I don't really like quotes. I mean, really, I want my inspiration to them is just me being me. Like you have to stay true to yourself. You know, if you have a passion for this, then follow it. Don't give up ever. And when you feel like you need to give up push that much harder. Not push people, push yourself that much harder. See things through. Never quit on anything you start. Even if you're, it's, you're miserable, you need to see things through. Always see it to the end because you'll always feel better whether it turned out bad or not. See everything you start from beginning to end and when it's over, on to the next. But forge forward and keep shooting. You know, like that quote, I love that. I, my eyes are the lenses to my soul. So you guys can relate to that. If you're a, if you're a camera guy and you're, you're a filmmaker, that should ring so loud and true to you. That's a, one of my favorite quotes. So you got one from me. Yeah. Is that I don't know where it even came from. I heard it. I'm quoting it. That's my favorite because every your eyes are, those are your lenses. You're just putting your eye onto another lens to another optical that's seeing through the original eye, which is your mindset anyway. You're just putting another size on it. You know, your eyes can only see so far, you know, as I'm getting older, I only got my, my, my longest fire. If I have to read short, I got to wear glasses. But with, with, with the original is that it's a lens 
and it reaches in there. You'll see things if you just let yourself go. Don't be, don't get marginalized. Don't let anybody take. If someone tells you it's not good, don't ask for a second opinion. Just keep shooting. You know what I mean? Because if you have that vision, you have to see it through. You know, you talk, you, you see all these successful directors. You know, people are telling them you can't do this, you can't do that, and 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 they forged ahead anyways. And it, what is success? You know, to you. I mean, what, I ask kids, what would be your success? It should be my success is as long as I'm true to myself, I'm successful. Doesn't matter what I. And I got to make sure I don't hurt or harm any anybody that's coming up with me or behind me or right next to me. We're all in the same boat. I need to either, I have to give 100% back because it was 100% given to me. And if I don't, I fall short fulfilling what's really, the, I think, that should be the philosophy for life. But it's unfortunately things that get swept under the rug is that we're all here for a short period of time. We might as well enjoy it and, 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 and help each other as best we can. And in the film community, we have an opportunity to show the world through our eyes, our pains, our worries, our fears, through the written and then the visual format. And that's a responsibility as, as a director and as a writer and a producer we have to do. And if we don't do it, we're going to lose sight of things. And that's where documentaries are so important and other things like that. You have to be on, you have to have a voice. Can't let anybody else's voice be yours. Might as well just mute yourself and put a piece of tape over your mouth and just walk around, you know, like a prisoner of your, of whatever, you know. Limitation. I don't put it on myself, and neither should you two ladies. Look at what you're doing here. This is an, an impressive thing. And young kids will be inspired by this because they need to know the truth. It's a good industry. It's a wonderful medium, and if you feel... It's a passion, and you better be compassionate about it, too, meaning I have that compassion, and be empathetic, you know, and have sympathy, but really be empathetic to other people's needs, because it seems to work for me, and it works for people. When I work with people, and I'm empathetic to the needs, and sometimes, and, I, and that helps with working with cast. So that was a long-winded version of a quote, but yeah. I think we can pull quite a few. You got to yeah, edit the crap out of there. You'll just take those. My eyes are the lens of this soul's quote. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I do. I, I'm a windbag. I'm from Boston. That's all we do. <laughs> so um, where would you tell somebody to go to get in the industry? Where where should they plug in right away? Where? Like, it's, where are you guys? Colorado? The film industry. Look at Oh, as far as, like, go to your... Um, Every city, like we have Boston Film Office, they have a website, local.org, like, and you look up and they have, you don't even have to pay anything to join it, you just look, you, you scroll down left and you look what's coming into town, pre-production, production, and they usually have an email, so up to date now, the actual production company, and there's usually some good sizable productions coming in, you email your resume, you attach it, and you write what you're looking forward to doing, production assistants work all the time, because they're short money, but it doesn't matter, that's not the point, you get yourself on a set, and then you just stop being you, start learning, and you're, you're going to learn the inside out, how rough it really can be, and how, and then what it is, and, and I learned that, um, it's like it's like almost being in a fraternity. Like they're gonna weak, wear, whittle out the weak ones, so they think. And it's not about being weak. It's about who's real and who's really into this. I mean, they test your passion. They, like it's back to the passion. They're gonna see if you really want to do this. It's not easy. 
It's a lot of hours, and that's what I mean. You really got to love what you do. It's not about just shooting something, throwing it on YouTube, and hope to be the next Justin Bieber or something. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's about... I'm sorry I had to throw that out there because that kind of bugged me. Uh, that's a personal thing. Again. But, I mean, you know what I mean? It's like... I got friends in the musicians that don't get to that level, but that's what YouTube was meant to do. And he is a talented kid, but see, that was a medium muse, but now everybody seems to want to go that route. Mm -hmm. So they're doing insane stuff and jackass has already been done. So you can keep doing that. So you're just following in the force of being original. Like yeah. there's no originals. They always tell you that in Hollywood. There's nothing original, but make it your original. That's a good see, one. Man. Yeah, that's what I mean. It's your originality that you bring into something that's already spun off. I mean, it's been around a hundred something years, so nothing's original. And always protect yourself when you write it. Send it to the writers' guild. You write something, make sure you get at least a document. I mean, you can send it to them; they give you the number. It doesn't protect you from being stolen in intellectual property, but but get to your film officers. Get on a set if you want to start doing it, and start shaking the hands of the right people. Ask for the who's the first AD. Look for the second AD. You'll know where the guys running around with to look like we're a secret service <laughs> in, the, in the microphone, you know, and everything's copy this, copy that, you know, and let's move on. So, and um, be 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 aware, you know, use your senses to um, your instincts. To this is really going to work for me asking these questions. Not everybody's going to be like me. Like, it's formidable and want to forefront because it's so competitive. Mm -hmm. See, I don't live in that fear. So I really, you know, I, the competition thing, I'm 50. So it's like the competition's competition all my life. My whole career has been that way. But I don't let it get to me. You know, I'm, I'm grateful for what I've done, and you should be too. And your life is just starting. I mean, this is a great thing you're doing here, and, and, and I stick it out, you know, and practice. You know, YouTube's a good practice medium. I mean, you know, get into film festivals. Local 48-hour film festivals are great to practice on. You get 48 hours, you get a this topic, boom, and you got to shoot it, edit it, score it, all in 48 hours. You want to talk about fun? It's insane, yeah. you know, and... and See what you got there. They get your chops wet now. They got them, you know, look, you can go online, www.48hours.com. I don't know where they have them in L.A. They got them here in Boston. They got them in Rhode Island, New York. They're all over the globe. And that's another way to get yourself out there. Whether you, Even if you get the finished product done and it gets previewed at a theater, people are there, and it's, you know, you get to do a Q&A, you get the, the fail of being a director. Everybody gets the opportunity, if you get it filmed, to get questions thrown their way. How did you get that piece of shit done? How great was it to shoot this? I mean, you have really weird questions, but you start to learn that you either like this or you don't. Mm -hmm. You get charged. You get up there. You have to handle yourself professionally. Even if the thing turned out crap, I had one things turn out crap. You nothing you can do. Right. It's it's in the can. It's done. And you have to. And I always say, stand by every project you do. You put your name on it, you stick to your name on it. You don't back out at the last second because it doesn't fit. It's going to make you look bad. You know, it's about seeing it to the end, whether it comes out. It comes out the way it's going to come out. Put your name on it and keep it on there. You know, because eventually your, your time will come. It builds and builds and momentum builds. You were very inspirational, so uh, we definitely appreciate it. Have fun editing me, please, and tell me how funky I look and how weird. <laughs> I'd like to be a part of that one. Jesus. Never edit well, myself. 
Well, think of that non-TMZ story, because I'm going to I'm gonna get uh, back see, to you no, on that you one. Come after me off the record. I'll go off the record. I'll tell you all day long. We'll uh, disguise we'll your dis- voice and everything. Yeah, no one will uh, know who you are. Put Darth Vader voice. I just watched a documentary on him. Put my book, James Earl Jones, on my voice. I'll be good. Yeah. <laughs> good. Well, that's it for today's episode of The Dang Show. A huge thanks to Brendan for taking the time to chat with us. And I especially want to thank you, our listeners, because without you, our show wouldn't be possible. If you'd like to hear more, you can find The Dang Show on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Please be sure to subscribe and check out new episodes every other Tuesday. The Dang Show is brought to you by Simeon, the company that empowers creatives to do what they love most by providing innovative media management and collaboration tools that transform ideas from inception to final cut. Manage and share media assets, present, review and approve, and win new business with Simeon's single source, easy to use platform. Create, inspire, entertain. Visit www.gosimeon.com today to start your free 14 day trial.